Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Doom. Okay, Paula. Today's case takes us all the way to Panama. Just a few years ago, this happened in 2014, and the events of this case could, at first, easily be explained away as a tragic accident. But the more details come into view, the more that view gets cloudy. And today, I'm going to tell you the story of two Dutch women, Chris Kremers and Lisanne Froon, who may forever be known as the Lost Panama Hikers. This case is interesting to say the least. So Chris Kremers was born on August 9th, 1992, to parents Rowley Grit and Hans Kremers, and she was 21 years old at the time that our story takes place. She was described as being a really open-minded person. She was very creative. She had just completed her studies in cultural social education, specializing in art education at the University of Utrecht. Lisanne Froon was born on September 24, 1991, to parents Diney and Peter Froon, and she was 22 years old. She was described as being optimistic, intelligent, and she loved playing volleyball. She graduated with a degree in applied psychology from Deventer just about six months prior to this story. Both women grew up in Amersfoort, Netherlands, and just a few weeks prior to the events we will discuss today, they had moved into a dorm room together back at Amersfoort and they had also worked together at a local restaurant. Now they'd been saving money for six months to go on a trip to Panama together to celebrate completing their studies, to learn Spanish, and to give back by volunteering with children at a school. Chris and Lisanne arrived in Panama, a small tropical country located north of Colombia on March 15, 2014, and they planned on staying for six weeks. They'd broken up this vacation into a couple of parts. First, they toured Panama for two weeks and they just enjoyed a tropical vacation before arriving in Boquette on March 29th, where they were going to live with a local family for a month while they volunteered with children at a local school. They sound so amazing, especially for their age. I know. They do sound like really incredible people. And what an incredible trip. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Boquette is a very small town, and Chris and Lisanne were going to be staying in a hostel named Spanish by the River. And from what I understand, this hostel was like with a host family, and the girls had a little room with a separate entrance located on this family's property. And I believe it may have even been attached to the host family's house. When the girls arrived in Boquette, ready to volunteer at the school, unfortunately there had been some kind of an administrative mix-up, and the school wasn't ready for them yet. The school actually told them to just come back in a week, which was pretty disappointing to the girls. 
And they'd wrote in their diary later that whoever gave them this information wasn't even really nice about it. <laughs> like, they didn't even seem to appreciate that the girls were there. They just were like, we aren't ready for you. Come back later. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that kind of customer service or lack of. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I wonder if part of it may have been like a... Um, like a language barrier issue but still probably that wouldn't make you feel good no of course not so this was disappointing but at the same time it gave the women another week to explore and do some sightseeing and whatever else they wanted to do so they decided to spend some time taking some hikes on april 1st 2014 sometime after 11 a.m but before 1 p.m and this two-hour time discrepancy is based upon when the girls were seen in town and what time the taxi driver says he dropped them off at this trailhead. But somewhere in that time frame, Chris and Lisanne went hiking near the clouded forests near the Baru volcano on the El Pianista Trail not far from Boquette. Now that Baru volcano is this really large volcano that's completely surrounded by rainforest and what is called a clouded forest which is exactly what it sounds like. It's like a jungle in a cloud. So imagine a super, super foggy jungle. Wow. It sounds amazing, but it also sounds terrifying. Yeah. How do you see anything in there? You'll have to Google the photos okay. because it's absolutely something out of a horror movie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and this entire area is surrounded by small, unnamed towns and indigenous areas and tribes. Now, no one's really positive as to where the girls were headed. However, it is believed that they were going to be hiking the El Pianista Trail that leads to the Overlook, which is where you can see 360-degree views of the mountains and the rainforest. It appears that the women were only planning on being out for a few hours as they took no food with them. It appears they only had one bottle of water between them. They were wearing tank tops and shorts which isn't really appropriate clothing for a long hike in the jungle. And they were starting midday. So it's pretty obvious that this was just going to be a leisurely trip for them, right? Right. Clearly not prepared to go for very long. Right. Now, in Panama, it's highly recommended that tourists take guides with them whenever they go on these hikes. This is deep jungle. And even though this particular hike was relatively well-traveled and I'm not exactly sure what that means in this scenario. When I think of a popular place to hike, I imagine running into a lot of other people while you're out on the trail. I don't know if this trail was so well-traveled that you would definitely run into someone while you're out, but I did read that if you got lost or something like that and you just stayed where you were, odds are someone's going to pass you within a few hours. Right. Even though it's advised that tourists take guides with them on hiking expeditions, regardless of the fact that the women had taken guides with them on prior hikes, and they actually had a guide scheduled to take them out the following day, the two women decided to take this hike on their own. They had made a Facebook post saying that they would be exploring the town of Boquette that day, so I'm kind of wondering if maybe the decision to not take a guide with them might have just been because it was like a last-minute change of plans. Yeah, maybe there wasn't one available. Right. They just said, oh, let's do this instead. Yeah. When I think of a hiking trail, I imagine like what we have here in Florida in our parks or maybe something in the Smoky Mountains. And some of those trails 
can be pretty intense. We know that. Definitely. Here in Florida, we have swamps and Everglades. And in the mountains, there's intense weather conditions and cliffs and drop-offs. So they those can be dangerous. But in a rainforest in Panama, if you veer off the trail, you're in chest-high vegetation with spiky, pokey plants. There are cliffs and rocks and insects and snakes and spiders and scorpions. Getting off the trail is really not a wise option if you don't know where you are or what you're doing. So the girls start this hike, and here's where we run into our first possible inconsistency. I've seen it reported that the women took a dog with them named Azul, and this was either the host family's dog, or I've seen it reported that they took a dog that belonged to a local restaurant with them. I love that they were just traveling with a dog. I know. (laughs) And apparently in Panama, it's not like maybe here where we keep our dogs inside or something like that. Like the dogs just kind of run around. Right. And follow whoever and then they come back later. So cute. I know it is. (laughs) Now neither of these counts has actually been verified. The report of the dog came about when locals said that they saw the dog with the girls at one point in the day. The women were also seen having brunch with two young Dutchmen that morning And apparently these were two men who were also traveling through the area and Chris and Lisanne had met up with them previously and spent some time with them. And from all accounts, it seems like it was just, you know, an innocent friendship developed between four Dutch travelers. So later that evening, allegedly, Azul the dog came back without Chris and Lisanne. And around that same time, both women's families stopped receiving text messages, which up until that point, they'd been receiving regularly. The following morning, the women failed to meet up with the local guide who was scheduled to take them on that day's hike. So someone alerted the authorities that the women were missing. And this information also varies depending on what source you're looking at, but I've heard it at least in a couple of sources that it was actually that guide who called the authorities. So on April 3rd, two days after the girls set out on their journey, authorities began aerial searches of the forest in addition to locals performing searches on foot, but they found no trace of the missing women. On April 6th, Chris and Lisanne's parents arrived in Panama and participated in a full-scale search of the forest that lasted for 10 days. There were police, dog units, and detectives all the way from the Netherlands, and they all were looking for these missing women, and again, it was like they'd never even been there. The women's parents offered a $30,000 reward for any information leading to their whereabouts, and still, no one was able to offer any information at all. Now, $30,000 in Panama at this time would be the equivalent of $500,000 here. Wow. I know. (laughs) That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Even with the promise of that much money, no one was able to find even a trace of either woman. Not a footprint, not a shred of clothing, not a broken twig. There was nothing proving that either woman had ever stepped foot on that trail. On June 14th, 10 weeks after the girls disappeared, a local woman was working in a rice paddy near the village of Alto Romero, which is located in the Bocas del Toro region. And this is about five miles north of where Chris and Lisanne were thought to have been hiking. 
this woman found a blue backpack near a riverbank. Now, this woman worked in the area several times a week, and she told authorities she was positive this bag had not been there the day before. Now, I don't know what caused her to turn this backpack into authorities. I would assume she opened it and maybe she realized it belonged to a missing tourist, but I'm really just assuming this because this is an indigenous woman living in the middle of the jungle, several miles from where the search party took place, and I really don't know how far the news of the missing woman traveled into this indigenous area. But the backpack was turned into authorities, and upon investigation of its contents, it was determined to have belonged to Lisanne Froon. Okay, Paula, from here on out, just about everything I tell you is going to have a perfectly reasonable explanation, okay? Okay. But then, as soon as I let you wrap your head around that, I'm going to give you a new piece of information that's going to make what you were thinking just a moment earlier seem impossible. Oh, great. I'm just preparing you. Thanks. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so authorities say, obviously, this backpack that just appeared on a riverbank one day, 10 weeks after its owner went missing in the middle of the jungle, washed up onto the bank from the river, right? Sure. That seems logical. Yeah. Except this backpack was not a proper camping or hiking backpack. It was a very inexpensive, thin nylon bag. It wasn't waterproof. It wasn't sturdy. This bag, if it had been floating in a river for two and a half months or sitting in the middle of a rainforest for two and a half months, this backpack should have been dirty, wet, mildewed, torn. It definitely should have shown some wear and tear. But instead, it was clean, dry, and in one piece. It was if someone had just laid their backpack on a riverbank and then someone else came along right after that and found it. So that's weird, right? Yeah, it sounds like someone placed it there. It's weird. Now, in addition to the bag being dry and in good condition, it's also pretty unusual for a river to flow north. But this backpack was found north of where the girls were hiking by five miles. So if the backpack had washed up on the riverbank... It would have meant that the girls had traveled several miles north through the rainforest. And remember, jungle travel is not the same as just taking a hike here in Florida. There's rivers, ravines, cliffs, wild animals. So the idea that they got off of the trail and decided to hike that far through the jungle is pretty out there. It's definitely not impossible, but it would have required them to travel very, very far off course. Right. And remember, they've only got one water bottle between the two of them. Right. And they're not really dressed for a long hike. Absolutely. The overlook that it's believed the girls were hiking to was only about a half a mile away from where they were staying. For them to have traveled this far, it, it just doesn't seem like something they would have done. Not on purpose. No. And they were experienced travelers. They were smart. They'd spent time in the woods. And they should have known better than to just start walking in a random direction in the middle of the jungle. Yeah, I agree. Things get weirder. So inside the backpack were two pairs of sunglasses, 83 U.S. dollars, Lisanne's passport, a single water bottle, Lisanne's camera, which was a Canon PowerShot SX270 digital camera, two bras, and both women's phones. Every single one of these items was clean and in working condition. So that camera and those two cell phones that authorities said have been sitting in the rainforest 
or floating down a river for two and a half months, they all worked. The batteries were dead, but once charged, they all worked. Okay, I have to ask, what did they find on the camera? (laughs) We will get to that. Okay, okay, good, good, good. (laughs) And it answers nothing. You will only leave with more questions. Oh, lovely. Okay, so let's start with the phones. Once the phones were turned on, authorities were able to try to piece together what the women might have done after they left for this very ill-fated hike. Now, the phones show that just a few hours after the beginning of their hike, someone dialed 911 which is an international emergency number, and it should have rang to local authorities. However, the call would not go through due to lack of service. The phones also show that they dialed 112, which is the Panama equivalent to 911, but again, that call did not go through due to no service. So the first call was made at 4.39 p.m. on Chris's phone. It was still daylight. And if they started their hike around 11 or noon, they were just a few hours in. The second call was made 12 minutes later at 4.51 p.m. from Lisanne's phone. And then that was it. So we have two attempted emergency calls after having only been out for a few hours and still having several hours of daylight left and then nothing until 14. Hours later. Oh, geez. When at 6 58 a.m., Lisanne's phone again tried to call 112. All right, I'm going to go over right now the times of all the different phone calls, and then afterward, it's going to be a lot. Okay. But I want to lay it out there. I want the facts to be out there, and then afterwards, we can kind of go over it where to make maybe a little more sense. Okay. So, a little over an hour later, at 8 14 a.m., Chris's phone attempted 112. About three hours later, at 10.52 a.m., Lisanne's phone called 112 and 911, and then the phone was turned off. At 1.50 p.m., so approximately another three hours later, her phone was turned back on, presumably to check for signal, then turned off. Lisanne's phone called 911 and actually connected for about a second before being disconnected. She turned her phone off 30 seconds later, And didn't turn it back on again until 4.19 p.m., so about two and a half hours later, when we presume she searched for signal and the phone was kept on all night and then turned off at 7.36 a.m. On April 3rd, almost exactly two hours after Lizanne's phone was turned off, Chris's phone was turned on, attempted to call 911 at 9.32 a.m., and then the phone was turned off. It was turned on again about two hours later at 11.47 a.m. to check for signal, then turned off, and then turned on again about four hours later at 3.59 p.m. to check for signal. On April 4th, almost 13 hours later at 4.50 a.m., Lisanne's phone is turned on to check for signal, then turned off, then turned on again 10 minutes later at 5 a.m. to check for signal. Then the battery died and there was no further activity from her phone. About five hours later at 10.16 a.m., Chris's phone is turned on to check for signal, then turned off, then it's turned on again about three and a half hours later, and then turned off. The following day, April 5th, about 21 hours later, 10.50 a.m., Chris's phone is turned on to check for signal, then turned off. Then about three hours later, at 1.37 p.m., Chris's phone is turned on, but this time, and every time from here on out that this phone is turned on, the wrong PIN is entered, and the phone does not unlock. Everybody knows their PIN number. (laughs) I'm just going to put that out there. Right. So 21 hours later on... 
April 6, after the girls had been missing for five days, Chris's phone's turned on again at 10.26 a.m. and the wrong pin is entered. Then the phone's turned off. Three hours later at 1.37 p.m., the phone is turned on. The wrong pin is entered. The phone is turned off. Then five days later, on April 11th at 10.51 a.m., Chris's phone's turned on. The wrong pin is entered. And this time the phone stays on for about an hour and a half. At 11.56 a.m., the phone is turned off. And the phone is never again turned on despite having 22% battery left. Okay, so I know that was like a ton of information, but I did wanna just lay it all out there. Now we can break it down. And my first big question is, why did they call for help in the first place? Were they lost? And if so, does it seem strange to you that they would have realized they were lost so quickly that they needed emergency help? Remember, it was still daylight, They still had several daylight hours left and they'd only been out for maybe six hours at the very most. So what happened to cause them to make this emergency call but then stop trying? They only tried twice and then they stopped. It's possible maybe they called 911 because something scared them. Maybe they ran into something or someone. And then I have here, maybe they called 911 because one of them got hurt and they didn't think they could continue the journey on their own. But I just think it's really weird. They both tried calling for help once and then didn't try again for 14 hours. Yeah, that is weird. If you and I were out, one of us got hurt or anything and we felt the need to call 911, I would try more than once if if the only thing that stopped me wasn't just reception issues. Right. I would keep trying until I got through. Me too. Or at least try more than once. Right. For me, that gap in calls makes me think that maybe they suspected they were lost and that was the reason for the initial calls, but then they kind of talked themselves down and thought maybe since they'd only been on the trail for a few hours, perhaps they could find their way back. Like maybe they weren't totally freaked out yet, but what does seem strange to me with this theory is that when they could see it was getting late, when it was nearing nightfall, why wouldn't they try again to get help? Because I would think at that point you would start freaking out a little bit. Oh yeah, I would. All right, so the next thing that seems weird to me is that when the phone did connect to 911 the next day, even though the connection only lasted for a second, why didn't they keep trying? I would think that if I connected for even a second, I would have stayed in that general area and kept trying to get a signal, but instead they just made that one call and they didn't try again for another two and a half hours. That's weird to me. Right. Makes me think that someone or something stopped them. That makes sense to me. Really the only thing that makes sense to me in that scenario, like someone had abducted them and they were either allowed to keep their phones because the kidnapper knew they weren't going to get any service or somehow they were able to hide their phones and they were only able to use them when they were in a position to not get caught. So there's also a lot of turning the phones on and off. To me, this is easily explainable. They were probably just wanting to conserve their battery. Yep, that's what I thought. It appears only one phone was on at a time in most cases. I think probably after realizing they weren't getting reception, they would just turn that phone off and maybe try with the other phone in a few hours. Lisanne's phone died on April 4th. So from that afternoon on, we only have Chris's phone. And beginning on April 5th, whoever's using Chris's phone doesn't appear to know the pen. Now, I personally have a few theories for this. Do you want to hear mine first or do you want to give me something you've got? I'll hear yours first because mine are pretty obvious. Okay. The first one that came to my mind was just delirium. They've been in the jungle for five days with little to no food, little to no water. Maybe Chris just doesn't remember her passcode or maybe she can't focus on what she's seeing on her screen 
We do know that situations like this can alter the mind. That was my first thought. I can see that. The second theory is maybe Chris is incapacitated at this point or possibly even deceased and Lisanne doesn't know her passcode. But that also seems a little strange to me because I would think that in this situation, maybe you would share your passcodes with each other, but I don't know, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you wouldn't think of it. I don't know. I think in a situation like that, Mm -hmm. that might be the last thing I'd be thinking of. Right. I don't know that I would think ahead and be like, Paula, give me your passcode in case for whatever reason you can't use your phone anymore and I need to use your phone. Yeah, I don't think I'd be thinking that clearly. Right. Especially after five days. Right. The third theory is that someone other than Chris or Lisanne has the phone and doesn't know the passcode. And that's my theory. Yeah, that's a good one too. So all three of these theories might explain why the phone is then turned off for five days straight. And then when it's turned on again and the wrong passcode's entered, it's again turned off and this time just stays off even though there's still battery left. Because if you don't know the pen and you can't get into the phone, what's the point of turning it on, right? Right. And after so many tries, doesn't it just lock you out? Like after three tries? Yeah. You can't get in. It does. But you know what, Paula? And I didn't think of this right away, but... In 2017, both of these phone models were equipped with the emergency call feature. That means you don't need to know the pin to make an emergency call. So I don't know what to think of that. If you were trying to get into a phone that you didn't know the code to, I think it pops up pretty, it might not be something you would notice just on a daily basis. I know how to do it because I've taught my four-year-old how to do it in the event that anything were to ever happen and he needs to call 911 any phone that's laying around generally this is how you make an emergency call okay so I do know how to do it but even if I didn't know how to do it if I were messing with a phone trying to get in desperately there's just a little button that says emergency call on a normal basis we would ignore that but I think maybe if we were looking to make an emergency call and that button popped up we'd probably right after five days of delirium and who knows what they were going through probably not thinking clearly right that's the phone information so the camera I know you wanted to get to the camera (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) so the photos start off as you would expect with pictures of two smiling tourists hiking they're taking photos of each other and selfies and photos of the beautiful scenery And based on what we can see in the surroundings, it does appear that the women had been taking that trail to the overlook. And in these photos, the women look happy. There are a couple of photos in this series towards the end of this group of pictures where someone might speculate that Chris, who is a bit of a distance away from the camera, may have looked a little distressed. That definitely could be the case. But I also think that they could have just been like candid photos and maybe she just wasn't posing for the camera. So just like with a lot of the details in this case, a lot of what we are going to find from here on out, especially in these photographs, is very much open for interpretation. Okay, so we have these daylight pictures from April 1st, which is the day they started this hike. Then no photos are taken for a week. But then on April 8th, so this is during that five days where there's no phone activity, someone took 90 flash photographs between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. Weird. In what appears to be complete darkness in the deep jungle. That just gave me a chill. (laughs) (laughs) They're creepy. Yes. And 90 photographs in three hours averages about one photo every two minutes. So many of these photos show absolutely nothing. Nothing that appears to be of any significance anyway. A lot of them just look like specks in the dark, maybe the sky, 
maybe the side of someone's finger or face, possibly some rain. We really don't know what we're looking at in a lot of them, but the photos that do capture objects are strange to say the very least. So among these photos are what appears to be like a cliff or a ravine with what could potentially be a person standing at the bottom or maybe a body laying at the bottom or maybe it's just a tree. It could be any of these things. Right. Some photos show a twig with plastic bags and candy wrappers on top of a rock. Some photos show what looks like paper and a mirror on top of a rock. But the most unsettling of all appears to be a close-up of Chris, but all you can see is her hair. And some people say in this particular photo you can see specks of blood in her hair, but I actually see something different. I see what appears to be maybe like her nostril and an open mouth and maybe like her teeth and her hair looks tangled and looks to be covering her face. You can really go on a deep dive if you look on the internet. You could spend hours just reading what other people think they may see in each of these photos. But for the sake of time, let's just focus on the three photos that are strangest to me. So the first is the one that might have a body at the bottom of the ravine. I showed this photo to you. Yes. I looked at this photo. I saw plants and trees and bushes. If you really use your imagination, you could say there's a person standing there or possibly laying there. But again, it could also just be a plant. And then we also talked about how at first look at this photo, I thought it was taken like maybe from the top of a cliff looking down. But then when I look at it again, imagining that maybe someone's at the bottom of a cliff and pointing the camera up, I can see it that way also. So what are your thoughts on this photo? I feel like it's really kind of fuzzy. And if you had not said that it looks like it could be a body, my mind might not have gone there. It also looks like a fuzzy leaf that's not close enough to the camera, so it didn't get picked up. But I can also see, yeah, it is kind of shaped like a body. To me, it can go either way. Right. Like one of those pictures, that, do you see the old lady or do you see the young woman looking in a mirror? It's the same photo. Absolutely. Either way. Now, the more I looked at it, the more to me it almost looked like it was going up because maybe the way the trees appeared to be standing. Yeah. That's not what I saw initially. Initially, I saw going down. So I don't know what we're looking at there. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the second photo that I think is weird is the one with the twigs and the little red plastic bags tied to it and candy wrappers laying on a rock. This photo is really Blair witchy to me and I only have like one theory as to what this could be but I want to hear yours first maybe they have a little picnic but I don't understand the red baggies tied to the tree I see two of them and the fact that just one would be weird but there's two of them maybe it's a signal like help us I'm my mind first goes to that but then it could just be litter I really don't know I don't have any solid theories why do you think they would take a picture of it though does that oh see that makes it even weirder I didn't even think of that part what do you think the only thing I can imagine is this may be a way for the girls to like mark their location but here's the thing if that were the case wouldn't you find something a little bigger to lay on this rock than just like a twig? Because this is literally like a twig. Yeah. It looks like it would blow away in the first wind that came. Yeah. I think I would just look for something a little easier to see and that wouldn't be so easily moved. But other than that, I mean, that's literally the only thing I can think of is maybe they're trying to just like mark their spot. That's a good theory. Okay. So the photo that really does creep me out is this photo of Chris. In my opinion, her hair looks pretty clean and dry for having been in the jungle for a week. Like, I would be a wet, greasy mess. 
I do think that depends on hair type. Like I know some people can go for like a week with no wash and be fine. And the only reason why this matters is because we're trying to figure out what happened to these women. Where were these women? And so if you've been lost in the rainforest for a week, but your hair's clean and dry, something's not adding up. A lot of people look at this photo and think it's a picture of the back of her head. And there's a couple of spots that many people believe to be blood. But I actually look at this and I think the dark spot looks more like her nostril. And then underneath, I can see what appears to be teeth. I don't know. It could also be a close-up of someone's tangled hair. And all the details that I think I see could just be like lights and shadows from the flash. What were your thoughts on this photo? To me, it looked like she had flipped her hair upside down and someone took a picture of the back of her head. I saw a spot that looked like a circle of blood and then maybe the lower part of the left side of her neck. You didn't see, like, teeth. I didn't. I know know you pointed out what you thought you saw. I just didn't see it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. It's just everybody's going to see something different. Right, and that's the thing. Like, everybody sees different things. The big question in general, are we seeing what we want to see? Exactly. Or, oh, the girls went missing in the woods. Obviously, something's wrong. That must be a person standing there and not a tree. Right. That's a creepy photo, though. Either way, to me, that's a pretty creepy photo. Yeah. So now, what is possibly the strangest finding, and I did not tell you this. Okay. (laughs) Was that photo number 509 was deleted from the camera. Ooh. And I cannot find any reasonable explanation for this. So the girls are taking photos, many of what appear to be nothing. And in order for the camera to show that photograph number 509 was deleted, means that it had to have been deleted after the very next photo was taken. So if you're taking photos and you take number 509 and you don't like it and you delete it and then you take another photo, that new photo becomes number 509. Right. But if you take photo numbers 508, 509, 510, 511, and then you go back and erase number 509, you will be left with what we have in this scenario, which is photos 508, 510, 511, and on and on and on. So what would cause them to go back and erase a photo in this scenario? They have tons of photos that don't look like anything. So it's not like they're going through and deleting the ones that they didn't like. And why erase this one photo after having taken a bunch of other photos? This doesn't seem like it was just an, you know, an accidental deleting to me. Right. Maybe they caught a picture of their attacker. It seems like a lot of people think that. Think that whatever was on this photo, somebody didn't want to be seen. Interestingly, this photo that was deleted, number 509, was the photo in between the daytime photos taken on April 1st and the creepy nighttime photos taken on April 8th, which to me lends itself more to your theory. Maybe one of the girls had the camera in their hands, someone was coming towards them, and they snapped a photo because they're smart, because they're still awake and aware. Right. And then whoever or whatever happened... They realized it. They went through and looked for the photo that they knew that the camera was pointing at their face and deleted it. I can totally see that happening. Absolutely. Here's something else very strange with this photo. Okay, so I'm not a techie person. I know you're not either. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) But did you know that apparently if you delete a photo off of your camera, there is a way for a forensic expert to be able to go in and retrieve that photo? I am not surprised. Me neither. 
makes sense. I think they can do anything. Yes, I do too. (laughs) I watch too much CSI. (laughs) There's this professional software that apparently makes this really easy to do. Despite having all of these experts come in and try to get this photo back, it's gone and they have been unable to retrieve it, which implies that someone really went to great lengths to make sure this photograph was never ever going to be seen. And the only way to do this is to connect the camera's card to a computer and then manually delete the photo. So someone actually had technology, like a house somewhere out there, or they took it somewhere and then brought the bag back with the camera in it. They're saying it had to have been done via computer. Right. Clearly, there's no technology out in the middle of chest-high grass. Yeah. There are a few theories for why these weird nighttime photos were taken. So I'll just run through them real quick. Is it possible they were trying to signal for help by using the flash? Oh, okay. Smart. Could they have been trying to scare away a predator, like an animal? Right. I can see that. Were they trying to light their way in the dark? Were they trying to leave a message for whoever found them and or their belongings as to what happened to them? And did Chris become incapacitated or did she die? And was Lisanne trying to take photos of where she left her? That way they could come back and get her if Lisanne was ever rescued. And then finally, was the photo of Chris's head taken in some way to document either an injury or her death? But if it was why not take a better photo? So if what I think I might be seeing in this photo is really what I'm seeing, it's pretty grisly. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but you know, if someone passes, their eyes are open and their mouth is gaping open, like that's a disturbing sight. And so maybe Lisanne would have covered her face with her hair to hide it. Okay. So she wouldn't have to keep looking, you know, at her friend like that. Or... If this is how she died with the hair on her face, maybe she just didn't uncover her because you wouldn't want to see your friend like that. No, I can understand that. Yeah. That's just a thought that came to me when I asked myself why I might snap this photo of my friend if she were injured or hurt. Like, why would I do this? So that's my theory. Okay, so that's the contents of the backpack. And because this backpack was found... New searches were formed in this area, and lo and behold, Chris's denim shorts were found on top of a rock, not too far away from where the backpack was found. Now, some reports say that these shorts were folded on top of a rock, and other reports dispute this and say they were found just laying on the rock. So, I don't know which one of these is true. There's actually theories for both. One theory is that the women were drinking water from the river and it was unsafe for drinking. It caused upset stomach. If you've ever had the stomach flu or food poisoning, you know that this can often cause both vomiting and diarrhea. And to keep from having to keep pulling her pants up and down, she just took them off and possibly out of habit just folded them and laid them on the rock. I don't know that I would do this personally because... I would imagine if I were lost in the rainforest, I would want my body to be as protected as I could possibly make it. I don't know that I would take off what little bit of protection I had in the way of clothing, but it is a theory. The other theory, of course, is that they just ended up on the rock, presumably after her demise. So two months after the backpack was found, so four and a half months after the girls went missing, a grisly discovery was made. Uh Uh-oh. A piece of a pelvis bone. Oh my gosh. Now this led to searching of the area and an additional 33 scattered bone fragments were found in the area. Along with 
a rolled up piece of skin with maggots still present (gasps) and a boot with a foot inside. Oh my God. No. DNA testing indicated that these 33 bones belonged to at least five different people, two of whom were Chris Kremers and Lisanne Froon. Now here's where things get weird again. Oh, great. Lisanne's remains appeared to be relatively fresh. In fact, that piece of skin that still had maggots and the foot and the boot both belonged to her. She was only between the first and second stage of decomposition after four and a half months. Wow. So she was alive for quite a while. We don't know. (laughs) Her body seems to possibly reflect that. But Chris's bones were perfectly clean and dry, appearing to have been bleached and possibly altered by a chemical such as lime. She was in the fourth stage of decomposition and was completely skeletal. This may be easily explained away. Like maybe one set of remains was covered and protected from the elements and the other was more exposed, maybe sitting in the sun. Except, first of all, there isn't a whole lot of sun in this area. Remember, there's lots of trees and cloud cover. Secondly, scientists have said that both sets of remains are inconsistent with what they would have expected to find under these conditions. Lisanne's level of decomposition was much less than they would have expected, as if she'd been kept in a cool place, and Chris was much further decomposed than what they would have expected. Also, if we're looking for a reasonable explanation for the bone bleaching, they said the chemical found on Chris's bones was consistent with lime, which comes from limestone, which is a natural element that can be found in nature. However, there are no lime deposits anywhere near where these bones were found. Lysanne's foot in the boot was a clean break, and the examiner said that the chance of this injury being caused from either a great fall or from another type of injury, like from a weapon or something falling on her foot, the chances of this were only about 50%. It would be very rare for this type of break to occur without the other foot bones being broken, yet none of the other foot bones were broken. Weird. None of the recovered bones from either woman had scratches or teeth marks as one would expect to see due to animal activity. And remember, these remains were found in an area along with at least three other sets of human remains. So what are the chances that five people are all going to end up in the same area? Slim to none. Well, according to criminologists, he agrees with you. (laughs) Octavio Calderon says two bones from different parts of the body from two people never end up together on a sandbar. This shows that someone placed them there. There is no other reason. Uh, In January 2020, a mass grave was found nearby that contained the body of a pregnant woman and six children. Nine indigenous people were arrested. Police rescued 15 more people who they believed were in line to be murdered. One of the people was arrested was the grandfather of some of the murdered children. And according to the survivors, the murders were ritualistic and used as a way of making victims, quote, repent for their sins, end quote. Allegedly, a photo of two women, a brunette and a redhead, was found on the phone of a drowned gang member only four days after the women disappeared. And though I looked for this photo, Paula, I could not find it. But allegedly, it could have been of Chris and Lizanne. The tour guide who was supposed to meet them on the morning of the 2nd was one of the last people to see them alive and was also the first person to find remains. 
And he had some family members who were likely involved in gang activity, and he himself had several complaints against him. Allegedly, he had a history of getting a little too friendly with some of the tourist women that he'd worked with prior, maybe hanging out with them off clock and stuff. Yeah, being too friendly. Yeah, stuff that he wasn't really supposed to be doing. Allegedly, Latin America has a lot of gang activity, and these people can be so dangerous that even the police and military will turn a blind eye because they don't want to be targeted by the gangs. So I'm just going to leave you with these final thoughts. Investigators find it very strange that the larger bones of the women were never found. If they decomposed naturally, more bones should have been found, specifically larger bones, like a skull. Instead, only tiny bones, mainly foot bones, were what was found. And again, maybe this could be explained away by animal activity. But again, of the bones that were found, there were no scratch or chew marks on them. Why was the backpack mysteriously appearing with items clean, dry, and in working order? Why were both women's phones in the backpack? Why were their bras in the backpack? Why weren't the girls' keys in their backpack? Why were the girls found so far away from where they had intended to hike? Remember, this would have required way more than just accidentally wandering in the wrong direction. Why were one set of bones bleached and the others relatively fresh? Of all the emergency call attempts, all of them were made during business hours. So is it possible that they were being held captive and only able to make calls when their captor was away at work? And why didn't they try texting or using any other type of app to send a message when they needed help? That's a really good question. So my gut tells me that this is probably just an accident and everything else is just weird stuff that happens and we create something in our minds, the pictures and the this and then that. Maybe the backpack was just sitting there and just, I don't know. But then when I start thinking about like all these details, when you put it all together, why was the backpack dry? Why the weird photos? Why this? Why that? Why didn't they find them? Why were two levels of decomp? Why did the phone batteries last so long? My phone battery doesn't last that long. Mine doesn't either. Maybe because they kept turning them off. I don't know. An iPhone battery lasting four or five days? Yeah, that is weird. Do you have any final thoughts on this? (laughs) I I feel like someone took them. The fact that the bras were in the bag. If you and I are going out, are we going to put our bras in the backpack? No. Right. I mean, we've got one bottle of water in the bag, our phones. What else do we need? Bras? Right. No, that's just weird to me. So I feel like someone took them. Maybe there was some kind of a sexual attack. To throw off suspicion, they put the bras in the bag. Because of the foot situation, they were separated because there were two specific decomposition levels going on. I feel like the girls were separated. So you think maybe one was kept alive longer than the other? Yes. Because my mind went to maybe they both died around the same time, but like maybe one body was treated differently than the other. That's still a possibility in this scenario. And I feel like someone took them and their stuff, did something on the camera because the forensic people said that it had to have been plugged into a computer to delete this, even though it was deleted on the camera. Right. So I feel like they were in somebody's house. That points to somebody else is involved. Right. But then what if even the police? There's a shady cop. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know what caused you to delete a photo, but what if? Yeah. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it happened. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's, it's hard to finish the sentence because there's so many questions. Right. And I will say the bras. You can see the photo of the bras. To me, they look more like bathing suit tops. Oh. However... In every single source, they are called bras. And in one of the photos, you see a bra strap that looks like it could be 
I, I mean, I can kind of maybe explain that away. Like maybe they wanted to go swimming somewhere. There are waterfalls and things like that. So maybe they just brought dry undergarments. Yeah. Again, it looks like one of the bras that is found looks to be like one that I think it was Lisanne was wearing. Okay. So if you're wearing it, why is it in the back? I have no answers on this one. This is bizarre. So frustrating. Right. Because there's more questions than answers. Right. Do you think there's any chance that it was just an accident? I really feel like there was foul play. I feel like there would have been more physical evidence of the girls if there was an accident. The foot would have had two marks on it if it was an animal. Or if it was a fall, there would have been more broken bones and you would have found the rest of the skeleton. Right. If two women hadn't died, it would be like the great plot of a scary movie. Oh, absolutely. It's so Blair Witchy to me. It really is. Yeah. So there you go, y'all. Lost Panama Hikers. Thank you so much for listening to us. Every week we are watching our numbers go up. We are super, super excited. We've just started a YouTube channel. So if you would rather listen to us on YouTube, check us out at Dolls and Doom the Podcast. Like, subscribe, follow us, rate us, leave a comment. Anything you can do to help us out, tell your friends. We so appreciate all of your support and love. Yes, thank you to all of you. All right, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.